We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This is episode two thirty six of the pod, alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Uh, always a sad day uh, for a number of reasons. We're gonna put put the college football season to bed. We saw the national championship contested a night ago. Uh, recording this on Tuesday, Monday night, the Georgia Bulldogs winning their first national title in forty one years. Uh, what Stetson a game. Bennett, the mailman, delivering. We're gonna get to all of that, but. There is only one place to start on this pod, and again, it is the yin and yang of being a Bears fan. For but a moment, we were allowed to feel the joy of being released from the clutches of Matt Nagy Mm -hmm. and Ryan Pace. But that was a fleeting moment, because then the owner of the team took to the podium and made a buffoon of himself and this entire fan base. Matt Rooney, how the hell are you? Uh, I'm good because ownership of the podcast has informed me that they would like me to continue in my role. So Okay, perfect. That's yeah. nice. Yeah, so I'm going to continue. Um, ownership has informed you as well. They'd like you to continue in your role. So cool, guys. But I've, we're but doing, I've we're been doing a great job. My, I've, been, I've been asked to focus my efforts on Arlington, yeah. so I don't yeah. know how much. So you, you, you talk about Arlington. I'll, I'll keep yeah. editing the podcast. Um, God. No, that so it was. I was. I did you watch the whole thing? Did you watch it live? Yeah, did, but let's go timeline. Let's go timeline here. Let's go timeline okay. here because we cannot we cannot gloss over timeline of the whole day or the or, or of the timeline of that of that forty eight hours timeline okay. of the forty eight hours of um, game over firing. By the way, before we get totally buffoonery, this, speaking of game over, because I, I can't laugh. That game was the most. I can't even it's remember. Been said, it. it's, it's cliche, Joe. Oh it yeah, was it, was, the it, was most, Vikings, it was the yeah, biggest okay. Matt Matt Nagy era in a nutshell oh, you possibly could. They came out firing in the came out firing in the first quarter. They looked really good. They they scored that touchdown that you thought was to go up twenty one to ten, and the game was going to be over. And then a call doesn't go their way. Then they go into halftime, and Matt Nagy can adjust, and then they just give up and get dominated. It was it was. You could not have drawn up a more perfectly fitting ending to the Matt Nagy era. That's all we have to touch on the game. I was going to say, that's really... I had had to bring that up. That's really all the the game script that I need uh, out of that one. So, uh, sort of 12 hours before the game or whatever it was, Jason Lockonfora over with us at CBS Sports reported that it's done, it's happening. Mm -hmm. And and we really hadn't, outside of that, I think it was week 12 story that came out that they were planning on firing him, like, going into Thanksgiving or whatever that was. We really didn't have that concrete, hey, real reporter says real thing, it's happening. So Mm -hmm. it was a bit of an exhale even before the game, knowing that we didn't have to deal with any sort of uh, idiocracy that that maybe the New York Giants had to deal with over the last 24 hours with them bringing their failed head coach into the room and letting him sing for his supper. And that song is one they enjoyed, and Joe Judge is going to be back. Like, we couldn't have have entered – we couldn't have entertained anything like that. We've done that before, to be fair. Well, that was, that was last the, year for the us. First, exactly, exactly. So we've we've gone through that um, motion before. But we find out that news. They play the game. Season's over. We wake up the next morning, and the axe drops first on Matt Nagy, and then I think about a half hour later on Ryan Pace. Mm-hmm. Um, we, for that moment, feel what, Matt? Um, Nagy was – I, I didn't really feel anything with that one because, you know, you knew that was coming. Pace, it was, I don't want to say, maybe pleasantly surprised, but, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't think I was fully surprised, but, like, all right, good, they actually got it right. There was still that doubt of whether or not they're actually going to let him go, whether they were going to, you know, reassign him, whether they're going to let him keep doing the job. You just didn't really know fully. You kind of thought it was going to go that way, but it was more of, like, a, a believe it when I see it. So it was like, all right, cool. Like, I wasn't necessarily s- – fully celebrating because it's what we all knew should have happened. It's like, all right, cool. Mm-hmm. You were able but to take, you were able to walk forward. Like, congratulations. To your point, you did the right thing. To, you took the to your point, choice. you know, you, um, when you're putting together your resume, you, you obviously only put your highlights, your accolades, the things you've accomplished on there, your wins, let's say you frame it as such and you make it look big. And 
you could frame a pretty nice resume for Ryan Pace. I will maintain <laughs> there's so much failure outside of that framing that had to be answered for. And I think that's what happened here in the firing. But to your point, it wasn't as hook, line and sinker as nagging mm-hmm. to say, this is a unfettered failure and it needs to stop now. Um, there was some late round value that we've talked about here on the pod before found by Ryan Pace. Um, he did do some nice things for the football team, but at the end of the day, you can't fail in hiring a head coach. You can't fail in um, ass- assessing quarterbacks in a draft that was filled mm-hmm. with what could be legendary talent. You can't, you can't do those things and keep your job. So end of the era, we closed the book. And then, um, I mean, let, let, let's come back to, let's come back to sort of a, an in memoriam, but staying in the timeline here. Sure. Uh, then, George McCaskey uh, sits down at the podium to give statements and answer questions. And my God, if I couldn't feel any worse about being a Bears fan today that I felt two days ago with Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace running the, the whole show, I, I, have, I have zero optimism in the direction of this football team. And, and I don't think anyone should because it was copy and paste the script from a million things that we've heard before. Mm-hmm. They're bringing in outside help in the form of Bill Polian. Uh, Tony Dungy reportedly was talked about. They put together a, 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 a task force to almost to identify their new coach and general manager. He then talks himself in circles and says things like, I'm not a football evaluator. I'm just a fan. Uh, Virginia was very, very disappointed. And it's just like, it, it's just institutional failure. If you don't know shit about shit, come to the podium, say, I don't know shit about shit. Here's who's making the decision. We hope to be a winning football team. But he continues to toe this line of like, I'm the final say, and I don't know shit. And that's a hard place to be when you own a football team. It's, it started like, first off credit Ted Phillips. He wasn't wearing his son's Xbox gaming headset this year on the zoom call. So that was good. And that's all the credit um, he'll get because that, I, I, that, I when we said, when we said the bears cleaned house, they did it because they did that, because that is still a wart on the underbelly of this organization. And I don't care if he's going to be focusing his efforts on a 10 year long, a stadium um, pitch and closure and building, because you know, all that is that's 10 years of Ted Phillips still having a job with the Chicago Bears. And mm-hmm. that's 10 years fizzling his way into conversations that he shouldn't be a part of. Yeah, he's just, an accountant does any, and he's a problem. Does anybody really fully, like, does anybody really fully believe that Ted's not going to have any sort of say? Like, he's, he's clearly the only guy in that building that George trusts. So whenever George doesn't know football, he's he doesn't he's said he doesn't talk football with any of the you know, he felt uncomfortable when Matt Nagy asked him a question about their quarterbacks, which is just wild. Like you, you think he's not actually going to be like, hey Ted, what do you maybe think about this? Even even if Ted's not making decisions, he's going to be. Is it trust? Is it trust or is it extortion? Because I, like at this point, like what is what does i would have loved and credit to the bears media yesterday they asked a lot of tough questions and they got a lot of bullshit they did answers. a great job they did I a thought. very good job it, it wasn't a softball show they asked a lot of questions that bears fans want answers to but one question that i would have asked is what value has Ted Phillips brought to this organization over the last 5 years explain to me the value of Ted Phillips over the last 5 years and moving forward and how they, they, we had, you know, that was sort of the question that was framed in the sense of like, how is the role actually changing? If he's still going to be a part of these decisions, this, that, and the other, but essentially a, what do you do here question? Because if he's going to be in charge of the stadium, the stadium's going to get fucked up. Excuse my language. If he's going to be in charge of selling the hot dogs, the hot dogs aren't going to taste good. If he's going to be in charge of pouring the beer, the beer's going to have a big head on it. Like, whatever he's going to touch is going to turn to dirt. Like, what do you do here? It, the, the, he doesn't do anything well. It's like, I was listening to, uh, after the press conference, I was listening to, like, the local rate, like, split between 670 and 1,000. And I think it was Tom Waddles. I mean, credit to, not the, me, the media's been on it for a couple of years now, but, like, the, the, the sports talk radio guys are finally like, hey, like, this is, this is like, the, the actual problem. Tom Otto is basically saying, like, no offense to those guys, but, like, you put me in Ted's chair tomorrow, I can turn a profit for an NFL franchise because you don't really have to do anything. The money you get 
on day one from TV deals, the money you get from just selling merch, all like you, you, you don't have to sell out every game. You still like the Jacksonville Jaguars, not selling out every game. They're, they're making profit. Like it's not hard. So st- quit this family line of like, you know, Ted's doing a great job. We're turning a profit. You know, we're making money. Like, that's not good enough, Joe. You or I tomorrow could be named president of the Chicago Bears, and 365 days from now, I'm confident the Bears would turn a profit. It's not hard to do. But for some reason, that just seems to be what George is focused on, and I'm sure him and Ted are good friends and all that kind of stuff. But, like, they're not helping each other. They're not helping the franchise. And I don't know how there's not somebody in that family that hasn't had the – maybe they just don't care enough because they're they're – are getting dividends, their you know, their checks are cashing, all that kind of stuff. But like, no one's at all on that board. I, I know they're all old and mostly McCaskies, but like, no one at all has said like, "Hey guys, this is this has to this has to be different. This has to be different." I it it's it's shocking to me that everybody has such blinders on in that organization in that front office. Uh, Matt, your biggest takeaway from that press conference? I mean, we could gl- glaze over, or we could. Uh, we could get specific on certain things. I want to talk about the Olin Crude situation. I don't know if now, yeah, now is the there were the, the, the we, we can get it. time, but like we can get yeah, in all that all that like the, because I know we're going to bounce back worked, a lot of things. I know you've worked with Olin um, at uh, at NBC, at NBC. Sports Chicago, and I know that um, you know he's well respected because of what he accomplished with the team. I know that during his time as a leader of the Chicago Bears, that. Um, there were rifts with certain players. There were disagreements. And, you know, that's going to happen when you spend that much time in different locker yeah. rooms. But uh, kind of take me through the order of operations here in the Bears putting a $15 an hour job offer in front of them and McCaskey essentially claiming that that didn't happen. Like, what, so, what what's the timeline events in this situation? So I, I don't remember when exactly this was, but Olin was on the radio yesterday. And honestly, if you haven't listened to his interview with the Parkinson Spiegel show yesterday, do yourself a favor and go find that podcast. You can hear him get increasingly angry and want to just <laughs> absolutely kill George McCaskey. It was quite but apparently it must have been a couple years ago, sometime during the Nagy regime, he was asked to come out and basically be like a, an assistant during camp and kind of help out during camp with the linemen, which is great, fine. And they offered him essentially what they offer coaching interns, which ended up being about $15 an hour. And he rightfully so was like, no, nah, that's kind of insulting. He called Harry Heastand, who was the offensive line coach at the time, Heastand, confirmed his story he called ryan pace also yesterday to be like hey first talked to him but like hey like you can confirm this and pace pretty much confirmed it and george mccaskey who probably had not much known about the situation instead of just being like hey you know that's that's all one side of the story and i, I gotta be honest with you that stuff doesn't really come across my desk all the time but i'm gonna reach out and talk to him and bring it to the bottom of this or something along the lines of just pushing it aside not dealing with in the media decides to call their I would say outside of – since the 85 Bears, he's arguably the most respected ex-Bear, uh, former Bear, Bear alumni, whatever you want to call it. Go out okay. in the media and call him a liar. He legitimately said take everything Owen says with a grain of salt and not everything Owen says is meaningful. Um, and, and I think that – What that was right that? There, I think that right there – and pretty much the entirety of George McCaskey's statements on Monday highlight just how out of touch he is and that family is with not only reality, but with the franchise, the organization, the fan base that they are the that they are owners of. I mean, they don't own the fan base, but the yeah. the organization that they make hundred million dollar decisions on a four billion dollar corporation they are completely out of touch with they're completely out of touch with what it takes to put together a winning football team they're completely out of touch with the way people even interact with each other and i think we've talked about this in the past billionaires billionaires aren't normal in a lot of ways especially when you're talking about legacy old money Mm -hmm. billionaires who have never had to wash their own clothes make their own bed, cook their own food, talk to mm-hmm. normal people, um, work for their dollar. So much is just assumed. And I think that that bleeds over into everything that falls out of George McCaskey's mouth. 
that there's not a lot of thought behind it. There's, there's not a whole lot of substance behind that individual because everything's just been easy. And he thinks that putting together a winning football team should just be easy because everything else in life is easy. It's not how it works. And he also that, that, that also doubles into this Owen Krutz situation because he thinks everybody should bow at the foot of his altar because I'm George McCaskey. I, I got hallous I got blood in my body. Well, you know what? George is spinning in his grave again because of the stupidity that falls out of this man's mouth every time he steps to a podium. This is why we don't get to see a lot of George McCaskey because mm-hmm. there's people around him, just like there's people around every billionaire that insulate them from making a fool of themselves. But now when your franchise is at a fork in the road and, and an important decision has to be made, there is a requirement that you address the media. Not that everybody has to be Jerry Jones and talk after every single game, but mm-hmm. that's someone who has an intimate understanding and connection to his team, the roster, the fan base, everything that's going on under his roof he knows about. George doesn't know a thing about a thing, and it's so evident every time he steps to the podium. See, that's I, I agree with a lot of what you said there. The one thing I disagree and would actually think makes him look worse, I don't think yesterday was a matter of him thinking this was going to be easy, all that kind of stuff, meeting the media. I think everything he said yesterday was, I'm, I'm going to say well thought out, not that he thought about it well, but he spent a lot of time thinking out. I think yesterday was a very like planned out, every like he, he said everything he wanted to say. He's been through those press conferences before. He knows those reporters. He kind of knows what he's going to get asked. He knows what he's going to have to say. I think in his head, he was like, these are the best answers. These This is the best way to address all of these, Like, which is terrifying because we knew he might not be the brightest guy and my we we, I think we always knew that maybe you know we'll hire some guys and he knew what he didn't know I don't think he knows what I'm now at the point he doesn't know what he doesn't know I don't think he knows anything I just I don't think he's a smart guy yeah I think there's 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 no way I think there's some credence to that because a lot of there were a couple of times where when he got asked a tough question, he went back to a refrain, like a prepared answer yeah. where, hey, we've been prepped on this. This is what you go to when they say that. Mm-hmm. The He showed his true colors and went off script when he said, the, I'm not a talent evaluator. I'm a, I'm football a fan. fan. Okay. Because that, that – because, okay, you're just a fan. Well, then let's go to section 305 and pick a damn – fan to make the the toughest decision that this franchise needs to make in the in the upcoming decade. Let, let's let let's let the random guy in the north end zone direct the course of this football team because that's what you're telling me. It's exactly what it, I I I like the this is not a, necessarily a compliment of the McCaskies or George. I like the fact that if of, of the. They're going outside the organization because they always do because George doesn't know what he's doing. I like the fact that Bill Polian is leading this or involved because obviously Bill Polian knows what he's doing in terms of hiring coaches and GMs and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, Bill Polian isn't really attached to this. He's attached to it for two to three weeks. He's going to cash a nice little check. He's going to try. But at the end of the day, he's done in three weeks and he just gets to go back to Florida or Indy or wherever the hell he lives now and just kind of go back to being on his, if you really wanted to do this the right way, then maybe Bill Polian's not the guy that would be the one to do this. Or maybe he is. You don't necessarily need to make that guy, that advisor that you want to help you out. Your president of football operations for the long term. be like, Hey, I, I know you're out of the game. I'm going to give you a two-year contract or whatever, short-term. Maybe it's not Bill Polian. Maybe it's Tony Dunn, whatever, whatever guy that you identify that you – whoever else wrote a book because that's all George wanted to talk yesterday, how Bill Polian wrote a book. <laughs> um, go find that guy and give him skin in the game because giving him $100,000 for three weeks of work and sitting in on some interviews, as much as he's going to try – if you don't have skin in the game, you don't have real skin in the game, you're not really invested in the organization, that's not going to get the job done as efficiently as you can. You need to tell Bill Polian, hey, I want you to do this for two years or whatever, short term until we transition to the next guy that you kind of handpick and identify. Or, hey, Bill, I trust you. I know you know football. You've been around this game forever. 
you you tell me who should be the president of football operations, who should be running this organization from a football standpoint, and I'm going to interview and hire that guy. But I trust you, whether that's, hey, go get me Peyton Manning, whether that's you think Tony Dungy's ready to leave the media and, and it would be a good fit here, whatever. Go find me that guy. Don't, I, I, Bill Polian can help identify a GM. He can help identify a head coach. He's not going to be as invested in if he didn't have if he as if he had skin in the game. Ask him to go find you a guy that he trusts and thinks can run an organization and could probably sway to, sway to go work for the Bears. That's how you do this. That's the way you actually ensure change instead of hiring an advisor for three work, weeks of work for the 15th consecutive time who's going to be half in, half out. And that's not a yeah, knock on Bill Polian for being half no, in, half but out. There's but only 70, so much you can do. A 79-year-old Bill Polian wants to do some consulting work and be on his way. He well, that, well, that's what I'm saying. That, like, it, it, well, that's what I'm bit. saying. Like, if he doesn't want to do like – but the, then Bill Polian, go find me. Like, who is a guy that you trust that you think could be a president of football operations kind of – like I, I – it's still coming down to George's decision, and I think if you trust Bill Polian that much, have him go find you a guy that can make. We trusted Ernie Acorsi. We trusted someone to to lead us to water, and they led us to Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. And no mm-hmm. disrespect again to 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 Bill Polian here. Yeah, but to your point, what needed to happen was yesterday needed to be a cleaning of house. Ted Phillips needed to be sent his mm-hmm. walking paper. And George Hallis needed to come to the podium and announce his new president. I wish George Hallis would come to the podium. Or excuse me, George McCaskey <laughs> needed to, yeah, God, um, needed to come to <laughs> He'd I, have I, a better Virginia chance of height. I wanted George Virginia would have had, to speak. Yeah, that, how wild would that have been if just Virginia walked out to the podium? So, I'm so here's how it should I'm have gone. The interview. Here's how it should have gone. The dummy gets left on the side. They, they fire Ted Phillips. They wheel Virginia McCaskey to the podium, and she announces the, that Ted Phillips has been fired as well, and the new president of football operations is X, and that individual will have full autonomy in naming the next head coach and general manager. That's how, that's how it should have gone. That would have been best-case scenario. Hi, we're the Hallis McCaskies, and we have nothing to do with this shit other than we sign the checks. Th- that's where we need to get. We need to get to there. And if they would have said, Bill Polian is our new team president, well, okay. Maybe a little out of touch with the current game, but has amazing experience and yeah. can put the right people in place. Could feel great about that. Not, we're consulting with this team of people, and we're going to put our heads together, and then I'm going to make the decision. It's, it is the epitome of organizational failure, and the fact that we wear that logo proudly on our jerseys and on our hats and on our coats it makes a mockery of us and that's why we get that's why we get pumped up about this as fans because that is the representation of us and it is the embodiment of stupidity and failure and and it's it it was it was so disheartening yesterday and it was really the duality of a bears fan in a 12-hour span to have momentary joy fleeting by just chased away by failure and it's, it's it's what it's been in our entire lifetime you touched on something earlier too and you're, you went on your i was going to say your george rant but your first george rant because this has all been a george rant but you're talking about how you know this family that growing up in a family like that you don't have a lot of challenges you don't everything kind of comes easy to you that also shows a it kind of clicked with me in, in the whole olin situation because you hear olin yesterday in interviews whatever basically say since he left, he hasn't been called once by George McCaskey, talked to by the Bears. Basically, they don't talk to him at all. Like they, don't, like he's not really a part of them much anymore, except maybe coming around here and there. You talk to the guys who do NBC's uh, post game show, Alex Brown, Lance Briggs. They all kind of say the same thing. Those guys don't get brought up. They don't get talked to. They don't get asked advice because the McCaskies really, or Gary Fensick, who's probably been since. Of all the experts, he's been a very successful business person as well as a great football mind, all that kind of stuff. Those guys don't get brought in. Those guys don't get asked to consult because they know the McCaskies deep down know will tell them things they don't want to hear, tell them they're not doing a very good job, won't pat them on the back, and they'll tell them the changes need to be made. The McCaskies don't want to hear that. At the end of the day, they're just going to keep bringing in people that they know will give them the answers they want to hear, will know they'll they'll kind of fall in line towards the, the path that they want to go down. And never have a different voice, never have somebody else say anything different. Be like, oh, we're, see, we're doing a great job. Brought in this person. They said we're doing great. There, there's a reason that none of those ex-players are asked to come around anymore or asked to consult or ask for advice. It's because they know what's wrong with the organization. They know some changes you could probably implement and make. 
they're going to tell the McCaskies that, and the McCaskies don't want to hear it. George yeah, no, doesn't want to hear those it. Are, Ted those doesn't are want to hear it. Those are two completely different processes. Like we're talking about, I think players and past players in, in in Bears franchise history could be very useful for that. Hey, where where in your time did things go wrong? Where did you feel like organization? Yeah, organization I, I, I should take that. But I'm not saying I don't like, think, think any of those. Who, with, I'm yeah, not saying call Lance Briggs say who should hire my GM. I'm talking no, about, more like no. in situations on how to fix the organization. No. I, Where do I, I you get, get to it? talk to I get yeah. to talk to a lot of ex players. I get to um, work with some. I get to interview some, and these guys all have, all have different experiences in different franchises. Some positive, some negative. I, I'm not sure that that's the direction I would go to evaluate. Um, like you said, uh, major positions within my organization. Okay, I, I can I can I can take fully I can take useful yeah I can take useful information from those people invaluable information f- through their experience mm-hmm. and then I synthesize that into a decision that I make but yeah. I not being George McCaskey because uh, again we could we could run in circles about that uh, press conference, but I'm sure we'll get another one of those press conferences when they're announcing and then when there's inevitably failure three to five years from now. So let's get on from that and let's talk about the future of the franchise because sure. I want to make you the president of football operations. I want to be your right hand, Matt. Where are we looking for our next head coach? Who are our first head uh, or who are our first phone calls when it comes to general manager, head coach? I know I have some strong general opinions about head tough. coach. Me too. I, I, I'm kind of like I'm kind of like. Give me someone with a spotless track record somewhere where they've won. Like that's kind of my criteria. Is give me someone like not to. I know it's apples and oranges. Find me the football equivalent of Arturis Karnaschovas. Find me the mm-hmm. guy that has done more with less everywhere he's been. Yeah, it's it's a matter of they call it's calling those good organizations, the ones that are there just about every year. And I guess that's kind of what you did with, with Ryan Pace and that didn't necessarily work out though. They kind of went a little bit farther into that barrel of this, uh, from of the saints to get them. But I think it's looking into the Ravens organization, looking into the Steelers organization who uh, that Kevin Colbert leaving is kind of weird staying through the draft and then leaving. I thought that was weird. That'd be a phone call to see if he's at all interested to come by because I mean, the Steelers have been the model of consistency in the NFL, but it's calling those organizations that are consistently there every year who do things well every year and seeing who who is thought highly of. I Again, I don't know all the names because executives, scouting directors, all that kind of stuff are not names you hear every day, but it's finding those guys, whether it's the someone in the 49ers, somebody in the Cowboys, all that kind of stuff, finding scouting directors who are doing jobs well and interviewing them. I, that's kind of where I'm going as far as, you know, the GM search and that might be somewhere that Bill Polian actually does know some things because while he's been out of the game for a little while, Mm -hmm. he still knows some people can probably lead you in the right direction of like, Hey, I know such and such here. He's been doing a great job. Like maybe give him a call, that kind of stuff. So I think the executive search is probably where Bill Polian leads his lens, his biggest helping hand. Um, Um, The only, the only thing I could give you in terms of general manager is that I, uh, did a segment last night before the national championship game with Scott Pioli. Who yeah, that's a name before. that I've heard a couple times you brought up. If they, if the bears announced tomorrow, Scott Pioli is the general manager, but like, all right, cool. Let's go. I'm fine with he, that. He, he, he built this, he built the foundation to this, to the Patriots dynasty. I mean, he mm-hmm. drafted Tom, he, he was chiefs as well too, right? He was chiefs, chiefs as well. Um, he, he was with the Falcons during the 28, three debacle. And that's like, it, it hurts. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. But, it's uh he he's a he's an amazing football mind and he's someone that it's, that I'm fortunate enough to kind of pick his brain from time to time and people still want him people still value him as a talent evaluator as a general manager as a front office guy because he has that experience he has the track record his phone was ringing off the hook yesterday but when you get to that point in your career with that sort of success Everybody wants you for everything. Like mm-hmm. we did a we did a hit with him yesterday before the national championship game, and he really he did an amazing job. But he can't really give you a lean because guess what? He consults for Georgia and Alabama as well as a number of other teams. Like Scott Pioli doesn't need a job. Scott mm-hmm. Pioli's only going to take a job if he wants that job. So yeah, everybody's calling everybody. 
And again, it makes me feel uneasy that the person on the Bears side of the phone representing that team is George. Is George and is probably of the six openings right now. I don't know who's making all those calls for the other teams, but I'd have to say that George is bottom half of people that are respected within within NFL circles. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to pry someone of that cloth away from <coughs> an amazing life and more free time and consulting gigs, you're going to have to have a pitch. I don't know that George has a pitch. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's uh, not, not through. That's not through anything that Scott told me. That I know. I know he doesn't. No, no. I, podcast, I, I, but his, I don't think you'd have said that. That was something. All Scott that. All you. that I know is that his phone was ringing off the hook. And if the Bears yeah. were not one of those phone calls, shame on them. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. That's that's a good uh, point. And it's, George is not talk, going to be uh, one of the, the. The job might be still seen as uh, you know still the Chicago Bears, but I, then you, you know talk to I George. About that. I, I but then you talk to George McCaskey, and then it's like, well, that's going to yeah. be my boss. That's the guy I'm reporting to directly. I'm not sure about that one. Uh, head coach. Um, head coach. I mean, my, my, you, my, my first call is Jim Harbaugh. Oh, yeah, that's fine. I'm going to give you my tears because I'd okay. be I'd be excited about Jim Harbaugh, Josh McDaniels. Byron Leftwich, and I had a fourth in Tier 1. Jim Harbaugh, Josh McDaniels, Byron Leftwich. Who was in my Tier 1? I'm missing somebody. Tier 2. Flores? uh, No, Tier 2. Flores is a Tier 2 guy for me that I'd be okay Mm -hmm. with. I'd be okay with Flores. I'd be okay with Doug Peterson. Oh, my other – okay, not even Tier 1. So, Tier 1 is – Leftwich, Harbaugh, McDaniels, and then a pipe dream tier one is still Sean Payton for me. Yeah. If they could put together the right pitch and say, hey, you've done everything you can. It's a rebuild situation over there, too. Come home. Do something yeah. here. Really develop this young quarterback that you think you could make a Super Bowl champion out of. Come finish your career in the place that you started your life. Like that that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I'd put him tier one pipe dream for me. Tier two for me is Flores. Peterson and Dable. Anything, like anything that. outside of anything outside of those seven names, really? Like, I'm, I'm probably going to be pretty pissed about. I don't know. Like, you're yeah. going to have to really sell me on anybody but those seven guys. Uh, those seem like the right names for me too. Um, like, I, I don't. Like, the, if, why, Leslie my the... head, if Leslie, if Leslie Frazier is my head coach, I'm turning in my card. No disrespect to Leslie. Frazier, we've seen we've seen that exercise play itself out with mm-hmm. him as a head coach. Fantastic coordinator, Vic Fangio. Fantastic coordinator. We saw what head coach Vic Fangio looks like. You know, mm-hmm. that's that, that's just not like bring Fangio back on the staff and make him my DC when you got Josh McDaniels as our offensive mind leading the way. Like I'm I'm, I'm good with that. But don't give me another coordinator failed head coach as my next head coach. I can't do that. Well, that's why I'm also. Very, I know you said he's in your tier one. That's why I'm very much trying to give uh, Jim Harbaugh whatever he wants because mm-hmm. there's a good chance that Vic Fangio might just be like, hey, I'm going to take a year off and reassess and take whatever job I want. But Jim Harbaugh coming back to the Bears and coming back to the NFL where he worked with Vic very well for a long time, that's probably the job that Jim would be like, hey, yeah, I got Vic coming with me too. And I reunions don't always work out and this defense isn't the same as it was in 2018. And yes, Sean decided a very nice job here, but a new head coach is probably going to want to bring in his own defensive coordinator. Vic Fangio did got more out of this defense than, than anybody has. And I think Sean, no disrespect, but I think Sean decided it's a little more credit than he should. This defense fell off. This defense dropped off. They gave up 30 points per game over a month and a half stretch. So Mm -hmm. great, great that you, you rallied the troops and great that you worked through some attrition but if you're telling me Vic Fangio can come back and yes. breathe some breathe some life into a room, and yes, it's an aging defense, but what else could light a fire under some of those veterans than getting the guy that they loved back in the room? Like yeah. best case, I, I think that I think that what you're saying is best case scenario. Harbaugh head coach, Fangio uh, defensive coordinator. I mean, 
is Peyton Manning ready to be a general manager? Because can, can I say that? Can I say Peyton Manning is a general well, manager? Well, I mean, that, that would be the uh, – Peyton Manning, I think, would have, to have some sort of president title. But, yeah, I mean, that would obviously be I think, the dream player. I, think I just don't Manning, think that's I think Peyton Manning's got his eye on a big piece of the Broncos. I think he's trying yes, to be – I, I think he's going to try and buy it, yeah. But be, whether it's not the majority owner, the the face of a group that is a majority owner or something along yeah. the lines of that. And I think he's, good for him, he probably should. I'd be – I'm intrigued by Brian Flores. The, the problem with him, though, is you might see the same issues here. Uh, not that I, I think Justin Fields probably is going to be a better quarterback than Tua, but he couldn't really find the right offensive coordinator to go with Tua. It's three offensive it like coordinators in three years. It sounds like he couldn't get along years. with Tua. It sounds like him and Tua didn't get along. And, you told him to fuck off the other day after their game. Like you can't keep he's Tua or Tua said you can't keep fucking treating players like this or something. Like Tua doesn't swear, and apparently yeah. he dropped an f bomb on Flores. And then Stephen Ross said, "I'm going with the quarterback, not the head coach." Um, Which is wild. Where is Stephen? GM also where, because stayed. yeah, because the general manager and the owner were kicking the tires on the uh, quarterback who currently has 22 open civil lawsuits, and now yeah. and now all of a sudden Tua's got your full support. I get it. It's you guys also, went on a what a seven game winning streak, but I, I, that very weird, very weird. I, I, I too, he Flores gets the benefit of the doubt from me. I would agree because like I also yeah maybe him and Tua didn't get along too. It was probably pissy that they brought in Jacoby Brissett and it looked. I mean, let's be real. Brian Flores didn't really love Tua. Obviously, their GM messed up the draft pick by not taking Justin Herbert. We know that now, but like Brian Flores clearly had that locker room. In, in his grasp. I mean, I know they lost seven in a row, but, like, usually those teams quit after that. I know they you played bad guys, football. I know they reeled some off some wins against media. bad teams. But like, you saw some they, guys on they, social media expressing how how they were pissed about the move, you know? Yeah. Like, so he had, like, he had some of that locker room. It wasn't like – That locker room was one and seven and did not quit on him. That's – yeah. In the NFL, they, they went and run – excuse me, won seven or eight in a row, whatever it was. I don't care if you're playing – the Lions eight times in a row, winning eight games in a row is a really hard thing to do. And he went out and did that with a average quarterback, uh, not a great offensive line. Miles Gaskin is his running back. Like they didn't have all that much talent. Their defense played well. They played for their coach. Like, man, I, I know there's some issues with the quarterback, but part of me has to think that's on the quarterback. I don't know. I it, it, I would if if he was announced as the Bears head coach tomorrow, I would be more than fine with that. I just think Jim Harbaugh is the guy that you need to put on the full court press, and I, I don't think Jim Harbaugh has an agent. I think he's his own agent, and basically stay on the phone with him until he hangs up on you. Were there any names that I didn't bring to you that you'd entertain that you'd be okay with that you'd be um, that wouldn't lead you to bury your head in the sand and say, "Here we go again." Um trying to think off the top of my head not really um no i, I think you kind of covered them all kellen moore i'd be intrigued by um gerard Yo. mayo is one but he seems like he's a couple years away from being that next mike Vrabel kind of candidate i feel like everybody's trying to find the next like young ex-player head coach and i think he might be that guy in a couple years but i think he's too early to get that shot um, no, I, I think we kind of covered it all. Doug Peterson is the intriguing one to me. I know people laugh for some reason when that name gets brought up and, and immediately sh- shut it down. I know things didn't end all that well in Philly, but like the dude did win a Super Bowl. Um, he did win a Super, a Bowl, Super Bowl, with, Bowl with Nick Foles. And I could see it being a match because what did, uh, what did, what did McCaskey say his criteria was? Tough, gritty, like a bunch mm-hmm. of words that don't mean shit when you're talking about a head coach yeah. or when you're talking. like. But he's – he kind of has that Chicago air about him. He's a little rough around the edges. Seems like a, like just your every He's proven that he can game. coach in the NFL. I yeah, know it didn't end well for him. He's proven he can coach in the NFL and go to the playoffs. And, you know, there's, there's certain teams that win for certain reasons. And I think a large part of that Eagles Super Bowl was the uh, just sort of the – the air in the room, again, to go back to it, that he created, the the relationship that he fostered with that roster, that was not the best team in football that year. That was no, a well-coached not a, not team that executed, that loved each other, that he really got the most out of. So, so you know, that being the, the, uh, the mission statement on his resume speaks volumes. Now, you make a point to why it ended, and I think that 
there were some Eagle, Eagles fans that were a little bit frustrated there at the end, but there were also some Eagles fans that were frustrated that it was ending. They thought that this was the guy. Now, Nick Sirianni has done an amazing job here in year mm-hmm. one, uh, getting a nine-win team, a playoff berth. Um, so, you know, things look to be going fine for the Eagles, but it, it's not a discredit to Doug Peterson in any way, and that's why he is tier two for me. I'd be good with it. But yeah. But there's those there's three three or four guys and okay, let me say three guys tier one and then I'll go two pipe dreams. So my three tier one guys are McDaniels, Harbaugh, in no order. McDaniels, uh-huh. Harbaugh, and Byron Leftwich. My two pipe dreams, uh, I gave you already my pipe dream of uh of of Sean Payton, and I'll add Mike Tomlin to my pipe dream list as well. Would have been a little bit more would have had a, maybe a percentile more of, or a percentage more of realism if they missed the playoffs, and because I, I don't see him going anywhere. Yeah. I see the I see the Pittsburgh Steelers as a really strong roster that just needs a new quarterback, and I see them making the requisite move in the offseason and getting competitive once again in that division that looks to be, you know, pretty wide open again. I, I don't yeah. know. Um, but I'd put him on my pipe dream list just so he knows I'm here. Okay. That's fair. I respect. He's very <laughs> likely not going anywhere. And uh, well, honestly, with Kevin Colbert leaving, probably is going to get some sort of promotion into player personnel. But that, that's that's fair. Um, yeah. the, the name that's kind of odd that uh, I don't get me wrong. I've kind of been out on the camp because I'd, one, I don't think you go down this route again. Two, I'm much more of the go with the guy who's called who's been the head coach of his side of the ball. Eric Bieniemy's name is nowhere to be seen this year. And I, I find okay. that a little bit interesting. I, I'm not saying I disagree with it because I, again, like I've said, I'm very much, I would like, you know, defensive minded, defensive coordinator on an offensive head coach team or, or vice versa. But like, Matt, I, if we hired Eric Bieniemy, you'd have to do the podcast alone because yeah, I'm my out. I'm out brain, my brain would explode all over this wall to the left of me. Like I'm not. My head, I'm also. I'm my not saying just, I want the bear to hire just, him. I'm saying that's head, just a weird. We're not, not seeing his name. But I'm telling I'm just, you what would happen <laughs> if my my eyes. I'd feel a, a strong pressure in the front of my forehead. I'd be like, ooh, I got a twinge of a headache. And then my eyes would pop out of my face. I would start bleeding fun. from my ears, and my head would explode. That's what would happen because you know what that would be. <laughs> That would be exactly what we did. We would go out to get an old guy to consult, to hire a general manager, to hire a coach, to then look at a coach who didn't call plays from the Andy Reid coaching tree, (laughs) who was a glorified quarterbacks coach, who was called an offensive quarterback. I've seen this movie! All this of is these Anchorman. Th- this is Anchorman two, and but not even that because Anchorman one was a classic. Both what's a what's a movie that got a sequel that both movies stunk? This is oh, that. Don't no. give me that. Okay. Do That's, not do not literally hand me a calendar that says twenty fourteen. Don't do it. Don't, so I, I can't. I guess what I'm saying is like for all of the reasons you just said, and I've said a lot of the same things as well. I've never understood why he was always seen as the hot, like, must-hire new head coach. Like, I understand why he hasn't gotten hired since then because I think a lot of people have seen what's happened with Matt Nagy. But, like, I just never saw it. I'll give you two words why. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. It's, like, it's all the credit that that Matt LaFleur is getting right now. Aaron Rodgers. Like, it's all the credit, again, like, just and I know he's on my I'd be okay with it list. Brian Dable. These are these are top tier quarterbacks, and mm-hmm. it's almost like you're you're justifying all of the decisions that were made because of the outcome that you've received. Like these are quarterbacks making plays in the games. It's always going to be that, and we're not going to be anything if Justin Fields can't. You can get Harbaugh, Fangio, Doctor, like Professor X, Wolverine. Yeah. Like you could you could hire everybody. If Justin Fields doesn't make plays, they're all failures. If Justin Fields makes plays, they're all a success. And that's the long and short of it. The quarterback, <laughs> the quarterback sets your course. He he. He defines you. Your quarterback defines you. He defines your successes and failures. I think we've got a really good one, and he needs to be nurtured by those people. So it, it's sort of it, it's sort of the means justifying the ends, and the ends justifying the means. But Eric Bieniemy gets that love because of what he's done to put Patrick Mahomes in that place. But then because of the way that Patrick Mahomes has, has executed 
in that teaching he's received. Brian mm-hmm. Dable's getting this credit because of what Josh Allen's done. Matt LaFleur's getting this credit because of how great Aaron Rodgers is. So it's that that's what gets you those looks. So hopefully, you know, whoever J- Jim Harbaugh wants to bring on as his quote-unquote offensive coordinator, let's just say Bill Lazor mm-hmm. stays for the sake of argument, Bill Lazor's going to be on everybody's list because, because Justin Fields is going to be an amazing quarterback for the next four years. That's just the way it works, you know? I that, will say with Brian, the, the one guy that I'll give a little bit of a asterisk to there is Brian Dable because as – Good as Josh Allen raw, is now, he was, he was yes, yeah. Josh Allen had to be molded into what he is now. Yeah, he had to grow, okay. he had to develop, he had to learn. And Brian Dable's been with the Bills since 2018, so he's had he's been and, instrumental you know, in that Mahomes process. Had to be That's the one I'll change. Ways. Mahomes had a to little be bit. developed in some ways. So so credit to Eric Bieniemy for that. Like mm-hmm. there's, this is all a sliding scale. This is all grading on a curve. And I just think that sometimes we talk ourselves into these assistants because of the on-field results that they're only so responsible for, you know? Mm-hmm. I guess, I don't know, it, it seems, I know George said in the, the presser yesterday that he'd ideally like to hire a GM before a head coach, but that's probably unrealistic because head coaches seem to get hired so quickly that if you really find a guy you want, you kind of have to hire him pretty quickly. If I... I Oh, I don't even know what I'm saying here because I'm I'm so disheartened by the whole thing. I I, I guess the, the, you shouldn't hire by I think this guy is an offensive guy and I think he can be good for for Justin Fields. You shouldn't hire this guy because well this is a defensive guy and Bears defensive town. Hire the best damn like leader of men that you bring culture. in that room. Culture builder. The culture and needs to change. Say what you want, but I know I, I know I was a little bit annoyed by how they're treating the Bill Polian consulting and all that kind of stuff. The one thing I get, not the one thing, but one thing that guy does know is culture. I mean, he brought in Tony Dungy. He kept Jim Caldwell that kind of that. I know Jim Caldwell is not really a candidate now, but kept that culture in in Indy and and kept that thing afloat. Like the guy knows what good culture looks like. And I believe that if Bill Polian sits in a room with a coach for a few hours and talks to him, he has an idea of what kind of culture that guy is going to bring. So I guess that's the one redeeming quality I have about this head coaching search. If the new GM's not going to be the guy hiring him, I think I trust Bill Polian, even though he's a little bit removed from actually being and being an active general manager, that he can identify what a good culture builder bringer looks like. Can I, can I make one request before we move of course. on to college football? Make as many requests as you want. This is your podcast too. Just don't ask Jim Harbaugh to do a fake press conference. Oh, they're going to. Can can you not can you not chase away Bruce Arians again? Well, I don't think Nagy had to do a fake press conference. No, but this is I'm I'm, I'm detailing one of the many McCaskey yes. failures over the last decade, and one of those is Jim Harbaugh having, could very well be Bruce Arians. Like the, the the paths I know Har- Bruce didn't go to college or whatever, but like this is your this is your chance at a redo. Whether or not Harbaugh is actually serious about going back to the pros, or he's just leveraging Michigan for more money. If you call him and offer him more than Michigan's offering him, he's going to listen to you. So this is your chance. And that's, that's a right low bar. Wrong. That's a yeah. low bar. He took a cut to, what, $4 million last year? Well, like yeah, six? but now he's, he's going back and being like, hey, that money I gave back, um, well, it's coming back to me now. Open up the uh, checkbook, George. It's 10 plus. That's the going rate. You want to win? Spend some money. Give Jim 11 and just let the – Give him fourteen. It's not Whatever the hell he give him wants. Twenty. Yeah. Put a crown give, on him. Crown, give Sean. Give Sean. Give Sean Payton twenty. Uh, do you want to hear? Do you want to look at something interesting? And I know. Uh, is it like actually interesting, of, or is it like this is going to make me mad? Interesting because there's two different. No, no, no. no. It, it's it, oh, it's interesting, and this is oh, okay. this is straight out of my big brain because oh, when I was last week mulling over mulling over the future of the Bears franchise and mm-hmm. um, knowing that Matt Nagy the Matt Nagy writing was on the wall, um, I went back and I looked because you know we're talking about the 2018 NFL Head Coach of the Year Matt Nagy, and yep. he's fired three years later. If you go back in history, dating back to 2011, you don't want your coach to be named coach of the year. 2011 coach of the year, Jim Harbaugh. Oh, yeah, it's bad. 2014 left for Michigan. 2014 head coach of the year, Bruce Arians. 2017 retired. 2015 coach of the year, Ron Rivera. 2019 fired. 2016 head coach of the year, Jason Garrett. 2019 fired. 
2018 Coach of the Year, Matt Nagy, 2021 fired. So three or four years after you win the Head Coach of the Year award, some shit happens. Okay, I, I, it, it's it's more likely coincidence than anything. But um, beware, beware. And I know the, the, that would put like Kevin Stefanski on the clock, which hey, I don't know, he might be now. It would, but it would also put McVeigh on the clock. I think he's safe. He's probably um, good. But it's just a weird thing going that you win coach of the year. And it's just a, it's just an example of, you know, it being a results-based business and you are only as good as what you did yesterday and what you can do for me tomorrow. That, you that's know what's interesting coaching. to follow that trend? Who's probably coach of the year this year? Matt LaFleur. You know what's probably going to change over the no, next couple Vrabel. years for him? Vrabel. You think it's going to be Vrabel? I think it's going to be Vrabel or Sirianni. I don't know why Zach Taylor's not getting any talk. I, I know he's jumped Zach up. Taylor's he's in like the top one. five. And Zach thing, Taylor yeah. is taken at what everybody thought was a four-win team and just won. Now I know it was a beat-up division, Dude. but win won a tough division in the NFL. Vrabel, Vrabel turned a team without their top two offensive weapons for the majority of the season into a one seed. He's got a wide receiver as a quarterback. His he did a fantastic his, job his too. I'm tackle the first. I'm, I'm just season, saying but. Zach Taylor deserves to be in that conversation. Definitely, well. it doesn't Definitely. seem like he's getting much respect um, there. I want to. I want to officially close the book on on this era of Bears football with with a simple question, and okay. I, I don't think I've gotten a clear answer to it yet. Is it Nagy or Nagy? <laughs> Nagy. Nagy. It's Nagy. Cam Ke- always well, says it, Matt Nagy. He's no longer nagging us. There you I bid go. you farewell, Matt Nagy, Ryan what, Pace. What's your, what's your official I – know, I know we've said our A-list and all that, and we'll move on to the national championship after this one. I'm not going to ask you GM because that's too hard to predict, and we don't know all the, all the bells and whistles there. But who is your prediction for who the Bears actually end up hiring? Doug Peterson. That was going to be mine as well. I just I have a gut feeling that it ends up being Doug Peterson. And, okay, he's our, fine. He's our Carlos Boozer. We never get LeBron. He's our Carlos Boozer. Hey, Bulls had some good years with Carlos Boozer. Just <laughs> <sighs> hope he doesn't start painting his hair on. That's, you know. With all due respect. Well, Doug does have some grace. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's, uh, let's turn to the college ranks where players. What a, get what a game we watched last left. night. Oh, I mean, it was. Everyone was like, the, you know, the, the casuals were complaining when it was 9 to 6. Oh, all these field goals. That was. The most physical football game you're going to see maybe at any level. Mm-hmm. Like that was that was two teams rallying to the ball for 60 minutes and not like wrapping guys up. That was gang tackling. That was big hits. That was physicality on another level. That was the future of the NFL all in one place. It was such a good football game. They gave us the points there at the end. Uh, Georgia making history. And for me, I mean, just to kind of sum it up, the better the better football team that day won. I, I think that Alabama, with their two receivers, I mean, so terrible to see Jamison. It looked like Jamison mm-hmm. Williams was on, on the way to like a 200-plus yard game. Yeah, he was Crazy nice performances. Um, if they have Mechie, if they have Williams, uh, Williamson, if they have their two starting cornerbacks, different story. And I, and I don't want to take anything away from Georgia. You can't play revisionist history. The guys that are available that night are going to play the game. And Georgia had the better guys that night. Credit to Kirby Smart for getting over that hump that nobody has been able to before. I, I know that Bama lost to A&M uh, and Jimbo. Yeah, but the Jimbo won a regular that, season game. That was, that's really yeah, nice this, for this you, is, we're talking about We're talking about beating the greatest yeah. of all time and doing an amazing coaching job to get there. Um Credit to Stetson Bennett for doing enough, for not losing that football game. I, I think Stetson Bennett didn't lose the game. The defense won the game. And, and that's, how, that's how Georgia played football this year. And, and they played their game, and it was enough. And credit to them, credit to those fans. Um, it, uh, it was a really, really good night for college football. And just to zoom out 30,000 feet, broad strokes here, how nice was it to just talk about the game? Because that's what it's about. It's about the game. It's not about NIL. It's not about uh, expansion that's not going to happen. It's not about all these different things that the NCAA and these commissioners want to make it about. It's about young men playing the game we love. And what a beautiful example of it was it on Monday night. It was so enjoyable. Yeah, I, Georgia's defense, I think, was the most impressive thing I saw of, of all the things we watched last night. And I know we talk about SEC speed and all that, but – 
you talked about their ability to rally to the ball and all that. The, the lateral speed, which some of those linebackers and defensive tackles and like defensive ends were able to move with, like I know they're good and I know we've been watching them all all year, but last night for whatever reason it just seemed like it was on display more so than ever. And Alabama was the better football team for most of the night for the first half and then probably into the third quarter. But Georgia's defense just kept being the best unit on the field. Like they, they, they kept answering the bell. They let, they played a whole lot of bend don't break, but they never, with the exception of that one, uh, the one touchdown late, every time Bama got to the red zone, it was no, you're done. Like you're not getting the separation. Like we were obviously things short and things tighten up in the red zone. You're not getting separation. We're not, we're not giving you any room to breathe here. You're not scoring. You're just getting the field goal. And just, it, it seemed like, Georgia's offense was playing just well enough or just well enough to keep them in. And then something kind of flipped with that fumble when, uh, when Stetson Bennett had what looked like the incomplete pass, then kind of was the fluke fumble recovery. And once Georgia's defense still stood up and held them to that field goal, uh, something just seemed to kind of click with Georgia. They started running the ball. They started moving. Stetson Bennett made that unbelievable decision, uh, the, the or heads up play, I should say, to capitalize on the offsides and just put one up deep. And his receiver, who I can't remember the name right now, makes the unbelievable catch. It just seemed like something flipped when that happened. And for as slow moving as some people might think those first three and a half, three quarters were, that fourth quarter was everything you could have hoped for in terms of fireworks, even though I thought the first three quarters were great football as well. Um, it was... Uh... It was a proper national championship game. It was a another example of the SEC and how head and shoulders better the top of that conference is than anybody else in the world right now. I I'm glad you that. said the top of that conference, too, because yeah, you had all yeah. the SEC haters throughout bowl season. I, I don't proclaim myself as an SEC lover by any means. I just acknowledge that the top of their conference is better than everywhere else. Yeah, the, the, middling, the middle teams of their conference are not – or they're probably around the same level as the middling teams of the Big Ten and all that, and maybe Big 12, whatever you want to say. But once you get to the top of the conference, the best of the best in the SEC is most of the time head over heels better than the best of the best in the Big Ten. And I don't see that changing anytime soon because the best recruiting tool is championships. Mm-hmm. Georgia hadn't won, a, hadn't won a championship in 41 years and still one of the best recruiting classes, one of the best recruiting approaches by anybody in college football, and it's only going to get better. Alabama, mm-hmm. that is a non-cyclical entity. They will be great as long as Nick Saban is in charge of things. Um, I think that this is our national title matchup next year. Maybe Ohio State because they're – got three teams right now bringing back a whole lot of talent. Ohio yeah. State, Georgia, and Alabama are all bringing back some dudes. Um, I, I don't want to I don't want to get into the next year projection all just yet, but um, – when when you look at when you look at what was accomplished by the Georgia Bulldogs here, do you see any shift in power between those two? Because you know it was evident that these were the best two teams this year, and they've been right around that conversation, or at least Alabama's at the forefront of that conversation. Georgia's in that conversation over the last half decade. Did you see any power shift last night in what Georgia was able to accomplish? You know, it's it's hard to forecast because I think you still need to see next year and you need to see how Georgia reloads because as, as good as they're going to be next year, they're still, I mean, they're, they've turned themselves into a recruiting factory like Alabama or like, like Clemson hasn't been the last few years, but like Alabama where, yeah, there's, it's always going to be next five star up and all that. I, I need to see what they do next year where they have to. They're bringing a lot back, but they are still going to need to reload a little bit. And if, if they're back here again next year, I mean, They've already, in my mind, jumped Clemson as the – it used to be Alabama-Clemson. It's now Alabama-Georgia. They have a chance. They have, they, they've been the last three, four years recruiting better than Alabama. And I think now that you have gotten this monkey off your back, now that Kirby's finally done it, I'm interested to see how they operate with that pressure no longer on them because that pressure, that weight on your shoulders was there all season long. It was there in the SEC championship game. It was there in the national championship game. Now it's gone. Now you're just playing to be the best Georgia you can and not to be the best Georgia you can and to have to worry about beating Alabama. You've done it. You've slayed that dragon. Now it's 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 not just another game when you play Alabama because it's Alabama, but it's closer to being just another game. So I, I'm very intrigued to see what Georgia looks like next year with a little bit of a shift, with a little bit of a reload, and see if they can become that 
Alabama where they're, yeah, we, we don't know who's on the defense or the offense, whatever these positions this year, but we know they're really good and we're going to start hearing about them really quickly because they're Georgia players. Yeah, I think that that's a, that's a really sound assessment of, uh, of the way things are going to go. At last, I think last night what struck me too is that, and I, I only think this is, I, I think this is still, I think this is still, this is still possible because of, because of what it takes to win at the college level. It, it's still a quarterback's game. It's still going to mm-hmm. be defined by, you know, who you have under center. But at the same time, last night Georgia won with, let's not, let's not kid ourselves about, about who Stetson Bennett is. You know, that was a walk on who was, who left for a junior college, who came back as the fifth stringer, who won the job, who lost the job, who won the job back. Like for them to win a championship with that young man at center in this era of football and what it takes to win in, in the year 2021. Again, I think it speaks so much, it speaks so much to the, um, to the generational talent of that defense. Yes, uh, it's and it's not a knock on Stetson Bennett. He even said it himself last night in the post game. He's like, "Hey, I just wanted to not be the reason we lost," and that's pretty much all he with the talent around him. With how good that defense was, I mean, the the reason they won last night. I know Stetson Bennett made a big throw. Uh, what's his name made a big catch offensively. They were moving the ball late, but they won that game because the defense didn't let that get to twenty one to three early. That game could have been. It was sitting watching uh, watching with friend of the podcast, Chris Sims, last night, and we both were kind of saying, like, this is one of those games that Alabama should be up 21 to 6, 24 to 10, whatever, going into the locker room. They're up 9 to 6. This feels like a we had our chance to put them away. We didn't. We're going to regret that. And that's what ha- ended up happening because of how good Georgia's defense was late or was early. I'm sc- excuse me. Their defense yeah. is the reason they won that football game, is the reason they were who they were. And the offense played really nice complimentary football and Stetson Bennett made the throws he had to when he needed to do it. Uh, whatever they're doing in the linebacker room at Georgia, keep I on want, doing it. Cause can we Nicobe just, Dean, Nicobe yeah. Dean looked like Roquan 2.0, maybe not 2.0. Yes. He looked like Roquan. Okay. The yeah. way that he pursued sideline to sideline, Jesus, that is a, that is a special, that is a special young man. And there were special young men all over that field. Uh, forgive me, Matt, if I don't really have, the uh, the gas in the tank to go too deep no, on this okay. game because I talked about it for two I think hours we covered last it night. I think um, we covered it but uh, congratulations to Georgia um, I know I know it's always a, a sad day for you in college football it's tough to a close. I, sad I'm for me as well morning. but I, I find I find solace always in professional sports so uh, yeah. having uh, having a playoff run here in the NFL is uh, helping me sleep at night it's it's, it's easing me it's easing me nicely into Usually, uh, it's easing me, easing me in nicely to the end of college football because now we go right into Wild Card Weekend. It's kind of nice to have that. It's nice, it to like oh, cool, because like, Wild Card Weekend is maybe the best weekend of football on the calendar. So if I'm going to have to lose college football, I might as well just have that weekend waiting for me. I can live. I'll be okay. Um, I'll be fine. Matt, with football season drawing to a close, uh, the stakes grow higher in our year-long uh, locks of the week segment. We are here, knotted at 10-8, and eight, uh, winning records on both sides here, but it is a dead heat as we head into the playoffs. And with that said, Matt, your lock of the week heading into the playoffs is who? I gave you one pick. I am going to change it. I was going to take the Chiefs minus 12 and a half. I just 12 and a half point. You know what? No, I'm going with that. Chiefs minus 12 and a half. Stick with my gut. I'm taking it. The last time I changed my pick, I ended up losing. And the pick that I changed from one, I'm going to stick with it. Chiefs minus 12 and a half home against the Steelers. We just saw this game. I know it's the playoffs. The biggest number on the board. I know it's the playoffs. I know it's a lot of points. We just saw this movie. I just, I, I don't think Big Ben and the Steelers are going to be able to score. They weren't earlier. They, I don't think they're going to be able to. I think that crowd's going to be nuts. I am maybe foolishly going with the Chiefs. All right, he's taking the he's laying the biggest number on the board. I really didn't love anything. Um, I, I know Neither did I. I will preface that we both said it took us both it, like it makes, five minutes. It makes no to find sense. Our pick like, that doesn't usually happen. It makes no sense to give you guys a pick that I played when the lines came out, but I did get San Francisco catching six. That number opened at. 
They're only catching three right now. So I, I don't like them at three. Love them at six. But I am yeah. staying in that matchup. Niners-Cowboys first half under 24.5. Classic matchup here. Uh, Dallas has kind of done an up-down thing where they score 50 points. Can't figure it out. Score 50 points. We're due for a can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. This is a tough 49ers team. A lot of um, – I, I don't think anybody can – can out-physical the 49ers on both sides of the ball. They're a very, very physical team in the way they go about their business. I think we see a little bit of a stalemate, a feeling-out process in the first half. Give me that first half under 24 and a half. This is the part of the year, too, with the locks of the week where I very much enjoy because, like, we the slates are narrowing. Like, before this week, we had a full slate of NFL, full slate of college, and it was really easy to just find a game. This is the time of the year where we kind of have to start getting a little bit more creative. And that's always I always love when we get down to the Super Bowl, like locks of the week is Travis Kelsey receptions over. It's, it's, it's fun. I like when we have to get a little bit creative. Uh, creativity is what we do here on the Moose and Roots podcast, and we know you enjoy it. Matt Rooney, uh, I appreciate you as always. Here's also, if you, the Chicago Bears have a new day and a new dawn on the way, but hope is If you haven't yet, go check out Stetson Bennett's uh, clip from Good Morning America this morning. Oh, he's he, blasted. He did he's a blasted. great job of keeping him, keeping himself <laughs> together for how blasted he was. He only slurred like one word. It was. I thought he did a fantastic job of being absolutely hammered and not embarrassing himself on national TV. Uh, there was nothing behind those Stetson eyes. Bennett to the Bulldogs and always congratulations to you because you just listen to the Moose and Runes podcast and that is a W any way you slice it. For Matt Rooney, I'm Joe Musso. Matt, say goodbye to the people. Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was... Awesome! <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>